This is recording number 10779 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the fifth message in the Tough Stuff series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, August 24, 2008. This message is titled, A Different Orientation. ask you to take that Bible that you have in your hand now and turn to the book of Romans. It's in the New Testament, Romans, the very first chapter in that book. And we're going to continue today our study that we've called uh, Tough Stuff. This is the fifth installment in this series, and today we're going to be talking about homosexuality. Now, having said that word, a number of you have already decided what I'm going to say. It really doesn't matter what I'm going to say anyway, but let's come to God's word and let him speak to us. Let's discard our notions and our settled opinions about this subject. Let's let God speak to us. Is that okay? All right. You know, the the Hebrew word for so be it, the appropriate Hebrew word right now would be Amen. amen. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So we've turned to Romans chapter 1. I'm also going to be asking you to look at 1 Corinthians, which is the, the next book in the New Testament. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you might want to kind of uh, get something lodged in that uh, part of your Bible as well, so you can turn there quickly. But Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I... Um, the, 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 this subject before us is, is a very large uh, issue. And when I say large, I mean it just is multifaceted and, and much more than we're going to be able to deal with this morning. We're going to only take a very small slice of a very big pie. But I still believe it's valuable and worthy of our time. And I'm going to ask you to put your thinking cap on because we're going to take a, We're going to walk through uh, about... 20 verses of scripture this morning and just let the Bible talk to us and, uh, and let God shape our understanding about this. Um, let's begin reading at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul the Apostle is speaking to uh, the Christians in the city of Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. That word salvation means rescue. It means to restore, to reclaim and redeem, rebuild. All of that, all of those words are part of it, but rescue, I love that, salvation. It is the power of God to rescue. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Listen, dear one, with regard to any issue you face in life, there's no need to ever be embarrassed or ashamed about this. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it is the power of God to rescue, to right the ship, to take the upside down and, and make it turn it right side up, 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone. Not just a select few. Not just those who are sitting in a church this morning. But those who are not. It is the power of God to right their ship as well. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For, and when it says, and, that, and beloved, that's not just the two, two groups of people that it's assigned to, the Jews and then the Greeks. Because I'm not Greek, I'm German. <laughs> but when it uses those terms, it's talking about the Jewish people that God allowed or God um, called to be his, his uh, test case, his example in the world. To the Jew first, and then to the Greek, which meant the, the rest of the known world, the rest of the, at, the, at that time, the Greek-speaking world. So that includes all of us. For in it, or for in the gospel, the rightness, or the, it says the righteousness in my Bible, but that means the rightness from, of, of God uh, uh, is revealed, or shown, or demonstrated, or, or made clear. The rightness of God is made clear in the gospel from faith to faith. Now, if I asked uh, how many of you believe this morning, or how many of you have faith in God, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but if I did, most of the hands would go up. The reason I'm not going to do it is because there may be one or two whose hand wouldn't go up, and that would not be something you'd want to perhaps this morning be known for. So we'll just leave that alone, all right? But it says that this gospel, this book, demonstrates or reveals or exposes the rightness of God from faith to faith. And our walk of faith, our life of faith in God is not once for all. It's not something I arrive at and decide, okay, today I believe. Settled, done. No, no, no. Faith is, is a, a step-by-step affair. From faith to deeper faith to clearer faith to more refined faith to more mature faith. From faith to faith. It's in this, in this gospel, in this book, the declaration of the goodness of God, the, righteous, the rightness, righteousness of God. The things that are right and true and holy about how God intended things to be, those are established from faith to faith. As it is written, the just, and when it says the just, that means those who have been justified. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Those of us who have been justified, made right, shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because the gospel is so important. The good news about God is so important and so uh, incredibly urgent to all of our lives and our needs. It says that God is not pleased. His wrath is demonstrated toward any who suppress the truth. Who discard it, hide it, cover it over. Put, have you ever had people put words in your mouth? Do you know what that means? When someone um, uh, purports to be speaking for you something you didn't say. How many times our God has had people put words in his mouth? And when people do that. When they try to say God has said something he didn't say. 
When they suppress the truth, it says that God gets angry about that. Because what may be known of God is manifest or revealed in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The Bible says here in this passage that everything we need to know about God, even his invisible attributes, he's made clear. He hasn't hidden it. He has revealed it to us in his word, in nature itself, in our own bodies. The, the careful um, um, specificity with which we have been created speaks to us about what kind of uh, person God is. And it says here that they are, they are without excuse. We are without excuse. We don't get to stand before God in one, uh, one day and say, well, if you'd only told me. No. God has made himself clear and his rightness, his rightness. Because all, although, verse 21 tells us, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Now that's the problem. That's the real problem. It's not that we don't know. It's that we do not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile or empty or purposeless in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And this is talking about us as a human race. This is talking about the result of what happened in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, the first humans. When we rebelled against the rule of God, we decided, hey, wait a minute. I think I can do a better job of this. I think I'll pass on you, God. I'll do what I think is best. And that set our race off on a course contrary to the rightness of God that he has revealed to us. We chose, we chose dear ones, not to glorify God as God. We chose that. We made that decision. And it says, as a result, our foolish hearts were darkened. It's like somebody turned the light off in our souls. Verse 22, professing to be wise, don't we? We, we, we tend to think that we are the smartest uh, thing going. We have all the answers, don't we? Professing ourselves to be wise, the Bible says they became fools. And, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Instead of glorifying or honoring God we began to glorify and honor ourselves, put ourselves up on the pedestal. Now, there certainly isn't any. I, I have been as glued to the Olympic Games as anybody in our county, I'm sure. I have a stack, literally a stack of DVDs this high that I have recorded because I, I will never be able to watch it all in my lifetime. <laughs> And, and I love to see uh, whoever it is, you know, but, but especially uh, uh, our American uh, uh, participants on the metal platform. I love to see that. Get them up on the platform, hear the national anthem, you know, all that. I love that. But it's so indicative of what we have done as a race. We have placed ourselves up on the platform. 
And so he says here, they've, we've changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. How many of you know that people, have, people worship? People worship. Whether they know God or not, whether they consider themselves a, uh, an atheist or not, people worship. Now, maybe themselves they worship. It might be even an activity they worship. It may be a substance they worship. But whatever they give their waking thoughts to, whatever they give their money to, whatever they give their time to, that's worship. People worship. And the choice of worship is, is according to the scripture here and according to what we all know is true, is not most often directed to God. Verse 24, therefore, because all of this is true, God gave them up to uncleanness. God says, all right, if this is what you want, it's yours, have it. And this is what we get. In the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Women just don't know how to be women anymore. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due Men don't know how to be men anymore. We've confused. The whole thing has gotten way confused. And even, verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a, based, a debased mind. We didn't, we didn't want to have the rightness of God fill our minds. And so God gave us, oh, he let us go to where our minds would take us. Have you ever caught yourself Again, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this, but have you ever caught your mind going to the gutter? Verse 28, And even as they did not uh, like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, Sexual immorality, and listen to this list, and this is not a complete list. (laughs) But this is the fallout, dear ones. This is the consequence of our rebellion against God, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents... (laughs) We chuckle, but that's in the list with sexual immorality, wickedness, murder, disobedient to parents. Because it's not the way God intended it to be. Remember the rightness of God that his, his gospel declares is not children in rebellion. Where did I leave off on this ugly list? Verse 31 
undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Doesn't your heart break? This is what we chose for ourselves. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. One of the most perverse and twisted things we do in our human cultures is is, uh, elevate wickedness. Unbelievable. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And beginning at verse 9. Now I've, I've, I've selected two of the the two most uh, prominent passages from the New Testament that deal with the subject of homosexuality. There are a number in the Old Testament and the New that we're not going to, to read this morning. But these two I've chosen in particular. They are the most substantive, I think, in terms of context. Because the problem with this issue, as far as Christians are concerned, and the church, sadly, is that we sloganize it. We reduce it to just, you know, very simplistic um, phrases and, and postures. But, it's, but God's heart is much more nuanced and much more whole. And he sees the entire context. And so these two passages help us to gain some of that. So let's read through these three verses here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 beginning at verse 9. And then we'll kind of make our way back through and, and, uh, and glean a few things. And then we'll go home. Verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Dear one, who are the unrighteous? Me. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible tells us. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. The guy writing these words, I am the chief sinner, he said. None of us deserve heaven. I mean, a couple of weeks ago I said you cannot earn heaven. You can't. There's nothing that would ever qualify me or recommend me for the kingdom of God. Nothing about me that could merit the love of God. I deserve eternal separation from him. That's what I asked for. By my, by my behaviors, by my choices, that's what I asked for. That's what I deserve. And yet, <laughs> talk more about that in a few minutes. Actually, we'll get to it in a couple of verses. Thank God there's an and yet. And yet. <laughs> Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, fornicator, uh, fornication is every form of sexual activity outside of the context of marriage. That neither um, fornicators nor idolaters, those who worship uh, other gods, and we talked about that already a little bit this morning, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. How many of you found yourself in that list? I want you to notice that it doesn't just say homosexuals and sodomites there. 
There's a whole list. And it's not, as I said, just like the other list, we, the sad, depraved list we read in Romans chapter 1. This one isn't complete either, and yet I found myself more than once in this, in this group of things. And it says we do not, we will not inherit the kingdom of God as we continue in that state. Verse 11. And such were some of you. But. <laughs> oh, dear God. Get out a pen and underline that word. Please. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the spirit of our God. Now, washed, sanctified and justified. If we're not careful, we'll lump that all together into one thing. But there's actually three uh, actions of the grace of God described there. First, we come to... You know what? Earlier this week... Let me tell you this quick story. Earlier this week, I was down here. I, came, I was working from home on Thursday. And I, I came by here to pick up some books I'd left that I needed at home for my study. So dropped by here. And then I realized, well, I probably should um, uh, water the, the plants. And so I got the... You know, Mac knows all about this because he's the one who normally does it. Anyway, I got the buckets of water and stuff. I did a pretty good job, Mac. Not quite as good as you, but I did it pretty good. So I, I was coming back from the kitchen and loaded up with these buckets of water and stuff. And I could see the head of a guy go by because I was on the other side of our partitions out, that are out here in the foyer. And so, but I could see a head go by the glass doors. You know, just run by. And as that head kind of ran by the, the glass doors, I hear this bang, bang, bang. And some Klondike just ran by out there and, do, you know, just dipped or what's the word? Threw over our pots out there with the trees, smashed them. The two of them are, two, are broken all the way through. You can still see them out there. The other one was, was, you know, splattered all over. Everything had to be replaced just for the heck of it. I think I'll just walk by and crash all these pots. What do you think? That's what he did. I ran out there and he, he had hightailed it. I couldn't even see him by the time I got out those doors. But, you know, people come by here all the time and just die. I'll come here sometimes and find <laughs> cases, cases of um, used fluorescent tubes just sitting in here. Thank, thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you for dropping those by. We can use those. <laughs> You, you can't believe the stuff that people just dump here in, our, in, our, in front of our building. Or they decide, you know, I'll, I'll make this look so much better. And I'll just spray paint stuff all over. I can get a, you can tell I can get a little upset about this. <laughs> <laughs> but dear one, the sin that we've unleashed on God's creation... Is like we've turned a vandal loose and sprayed graffiti all over everything that God created, smash stuff, dump stuff. It, it gets them to be a huge mess. And I pick up, I have, I have picked up that slime. When I come to God, it says, I am washed. I am washed. I'm sanctified. That word means set apart. So God takes me and sets me apart from my sin. <laughs> I, I'm not identified with that anymore. I've been washed of it and set apart. The Bible says that God, um, that God separates my sin 
from me as far as the east is from the west. I'm actually pointing in the right directions this time. I kind of get that mixed up sometimes. But he separates me from my sin as far as the east is from the west. Justified, dear one, means just as if I'd never sinned. God, in his amazing grace, washes me, sanctifies me, and justifies me. That's the power of the gospel. Pardon the expression. That's the power of the but. All right. Now to the subject at hand. And we'll let all that kind of uh, be, be a little backdrop. And I promise this won't take long. I have four points. The first is that homosexuality is sin. You cannot read these passages and uh, believe otherwise. But let's describe what sin is. Sin, and I've already talked about this some, so I'll just hone it in. Sin is rebellion against the sovereignty of God. It's not violating a list of do's and don'ts. Sin is rebellion against the sovereignty of God. It's deciding that my way is better than God's. That's what sin is. Sins are the inclinations the motivations and behaviors that re- result from that rebellion. Because I have cut myself off from God, chose to go my own way, then my behaviors, the motives behind those behaviors, and the tendencies or the inclinations or the orientations of my life are twisted. They're distorted. They're, apart, they're away from God, what God intended. And so that result, the, 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 that uh, is what uh, the result of my rebellion against God is what causes those things. Homosexuality is sin, but only one form of sin, dear one. No better and no worse. Sin is sin. It's what we do as a result, the behavior is a result from our rebellion against God. And all sin, all sin is equally contrary to God's design. That's why I pointed out and spent some time on rebellion or, or uh, disobedient to parents. Dear one, that's in the same list. All sin is contrary to God's design with equally devastating consequences. Now, some people will, will say... Um, Actually, let me back up for a minute because I, I want to get this point into, even though I've already said it. I want, we are all sinners. We are all sinners. Every one of us. Now, some people will say, well, isn't homosexuality genetic? The result of nature? And if so, how can it be sin? And I believe that these passages show us, the passages that we've read in Romans chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that they show us that all inclinations, orientations, motivations, and behaviors are the result of some combination of nature or genetics, nurture, which is instruction, modeling, and life experiences, and choice. Three things, nature, 
nurture, and choice. I believe that every inclination, motivation, and behavior are the result of some combination of those three things. And so, yes, I believe that in part homosexuality is, in gen- is genetic. And you can, listen, I, I've read and heard and, you know, study after study in this and that. And there is no conclusive proof that homosexuality is, is uh, uh, completely genetic or completely uh, the result of nurture. It is some combination of the two. And I believe there's also a third uh, component, choice. Nature, nurture, and choice. Everything contrary to God that we are involved in is the result of a combination, some percentage of those three things. Nature, nurture, and choice. And so, yes, I'll go there with you. I will say that homosexuality is is genetic. But, dear one, our genes are not righteous. They're not as God intended. The fall that happened in the Garden of Eden ruined everything, including our genetic makeup. Think of the genetic um, uh, diseases Think of all of the maladies and malformations that are the result of genes that are broken. The fact that something is genetic doesn't mean it's right. Just because something is natural doesn't mean that it's good. Rattlesnakes are natural. (laughs) Anthrax is natural. And so everything that we um, are facing today is the result of a measure of brokenness that has come to God's creation, some form. So I believe that homosexuality is genetic or natural for a percentage of the human population, at least in part. But our rebellion against God unplugged us from him and resulted in brokenness, distortion, and corruption of the natural world. So just because something is genetic or natural doesn't mean it's good or the way God intended it to be. Studies, in fact, have indicated that many types of destructive behaviors, such as alcoholism and other compulsions, have a genetic component. There's a whole class of devastating conditions we call genetic disorders. That's the word I was looking for. Now, my life was almost ruined by my type A drivenness and my need to control. Now, there are those who, um, who would say that compulsive behaviors of that sort have a ge- are genetic. That there's a genetic component that predisposes people to have uh, to be uh, compulsive about you know all you name it lots of different things and that's where people will will say that alcoholism or drug addictions or those things have a root in a genetic haywire right or malfunction. So I could build I could build a case for you today that what almost ruined me was partly genetic. So because it's genetic or because it's natural, do I say, oh, well, that's just the way I am. Honey, get used to it. (laughs) No. No. Sometimes people will say, and Christians will say this, well, homosexuality is sin. Stop being homosexual. Yeah, (laughs) right. 
Selfishness is sin. Stop being selfish. Disobeying your parents is sin. Stop disobeying your parents. Sexual immorality is sin. Stop looking at that crap on the internet. I know guys who would chop off their right arm to be able to stop looking at that stuff on the internet. But they can't. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot deal with sin ourselves. Yeah, thank God there is willpower and Oh, you know, we are able to, to get a measure of, of uh, relief in areas because we, you know, exercise willpower and change. But you know what people do? They trade one addiction for another or one sin for another or one problem for another. We need Jesus, the one who washes, the one who sanctifies, and the one who justifies. And the same is true for about homosexuality. It's just one of that whole list of distortions that are the result of our, of our rebellion against God, but nonetheless needs the power of God. Now, this message today is not for my neighbors that live two doors down, Eric and Bill. They don't, they don't know the Lord. They don't care about God at this point in their lives. So I'm not going over there today to preach this sermon or give them the CD. Because we don't have the, they don't have the same starting point. But I'll tell you, it's for me and how I relate to them. I'm not afraid of them. They're just sinners like me. They need the same gospel. They need the same power of God that changed and healed me. I pray for them. I love them. In Jesus' name. Neither is this message for my friend Jennifer, a Christian, a believer, who loves God with all of her heart. And it has decided that her homosexuality is off limits to God. It's who she is and that's all there is to it. This message isn't for her either. It's not for my friend Kathy. I don't know anybody more passionate in her love for Jesus who is attracted, has same-sex attraction, but refuses to allow herself to be defined by that. She would not stand here today and tell you that she is lesbian or homosexual. She wouldn't say that. She would say, I have homosexual tendencies, but... I have been washed. I'm in the process of being sanctified and justified. Now the case isn't closed. The story isn't over. But it isn't in my life either. God has brought me so far. But we're not all the way there yet. And I, but this message isn't for Kathy either. This message is for me and for you. Maybe that you're, you're here today and you would consider yourself homosexual. I'm not really addressing this to you either. I'm addressing this to those of us here who are straight. Because Christians do not condemn sinners. 
John 3.16, we like to quote it over and over again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the very next verse says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, rescued, made right, redeemed. Matthew 9, verses 10 and 11, or excuse me, 11 and 12. Jesus was at a party that Matthew threw with all of his sinning and tax collecting buddies. And, and the Pharisees said to Jesus' Jesus's disciples, why does your teacher eat with collector, uh, tax collectors and sinners? Jesus overheard the conversation and he responded this way. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. These days, uh, gay marriage is, is in the news a lot. And, and you'll probably have a chance to express your opinion in a voting booth about all that. This message isn't about that today. I'm not here to tell you what you should think about the politics of all this or public policy. But I'm here today having walked through these passages of Scripture with you to say I think this is how we need to think about the people that are affected, same as you and me, by the fallout of sin.